Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Today we'll be looking at verses 6 through 25. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 6 through 25. We've got a large chunk of scripture we're going to work through today. If you don't have your Bibles, then you can grab a pew Bible there and turn to page 903 in the pew Bible. 903 in the pew Bible. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, then I want to invite you to take that pew Bible with you and let that be our gift to you today. We want everybody to have a copy of God's Word, so please take that and read that for your own benefit. You know, there are a lot of things in, in the world and life that are good as long as they are used for the purpose intended, Right? There are a lot of things that are good if, as long as they're used for the right purpose. Uh, pain medication, right? If you've just had surgery, you're in a lot of pain, pain medication can be very good to help ease that pain. But it's very bad when you begin to abuse pain medication. It can be very bad for your health. It can be very bad for your family. It can be very bad for your life. A vehicle, right? Our, our cars, our trucks, they're really good to help get us around town and get us to appointments and, and get us here to there. They're very good. They're useful for us when we use them for the right purpose. But when we abuse them, when we get in there and drive 100 miles an hour and drive recklessly up and down the road, then it can be a very bad thing. It can hurt us. It can hurt others. Uh, it, it, at the very least, we'll get a ticket, right? And, and so it can be very bad if it's used in a bad way, if it's abused, Social media, man, we can be thankful for social media today. It can be a very good way to help keep in contact with people, keep connected with people who live in other places. So it's beneficial, it has its benefits, but it can be very bad if it keeps us from connecting with the people right in front of us, right? If we abuse it, it can be a bad thing. The same thing can be said of recreational activities, right? If we we like to, to recreate. We like to fish, hunt, play golf, this, different kinds of things, whatever your recreational activity may be. That, that, that's good, right? It helps get you away from work, get you away from other things to kind of just spend some time to rest and relax and, and have fun. That can be very good, but it's very bad if we abuse that, if that's all we think about is that recreational activity and we let that consume us, it can be a very bad thing when it is abused. Well, you know, even spiritual gifts are good. They're good when they're used according to God's purpose, but they can be very bad when they are abused and used for some other purpose besides God's intended purpose. Therefore, we need safeguard to safeguard against spiritual gift abuse. We do. We need to safeguard against spiritual gift abuse. See, that's what's happening here in our text today. In 1 first, in, in first Corinthians, there in the Corinthian church, 1st century Corinthian church, there's an abuse of spiritual gifts going on. And Paul is addressing that abuse. In this case, it happens to be particularly the, the gift of speaking in tongues. I believe what's happening here, and this is indicated in our text, that, that what's taking place here is that, there, that it's not the spiritual gift 
that's causing problems, but it's a counterfeit version of the spiritual gifts. And the people are using this counterfeit tongue to do all kinds of things in the church, primarily to advance their own priorities, their own self within the life of the church, instead of using the gift of tongues as God had intended. We see this in the text. Paul here in this, this whole chapter, chapter 14, as he addressed the, this abuse of the gift of tongues, as he addresses this abuse, he gives some indication here. It, it's quite interesting when you begin to look through this chapter and notice how Paul uses the word tongues now, he uses it in two different forms. He uses it in a singular form, a tongue, and he uses it in a plural sense, tongues. When, when you begin to read that and we begin to, to notice the, the different use there, the plural versus the, the singular use of the term tongues, you begin to notice here that when he, be, when he uses the term in the singular sense, a tongue, there is a kind of a negative, negative connotation to it. But then when he talks about tongues, he brings it back to a positive sense of the term. And I think what he is doing here is he is indicating the counterfeit with the singular, a tongue, and the actual gift of God, tongues, in the plural. Notice, for example, in, in verse 2, therefore, one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. He's being a little sarcastic there. One speaks in a, a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands, no one understands him. But he speaks in mysteries. Right? That's not God's intention for the gift. But then later on here in, in verse 5, now I want you all to speak in tongues, the plural. I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy, right? Because the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now we talked about that two weeks ago, right? Paul, when he says, I want everybody, I wish everybody could speak in tongues. Why would he say that? Because we know that God doesn't give everybody a single gift, you know, the same gift. We, he, he, a variety of gifts within the church. Why does he say that? Why does he, does he wish that everybody could speak in tongues? Because Paul is a missionary. And, and tongues, first century, the gift of tongues in the first century was a missional gift primarily. We're going to see that later on in our verse today. But it was primarily a missional gift. It was meant to communicate the gospel with other people groups to advance the gospel rapidly uh, across the, the world. That's what the purpose of the gift of tongues were. That's why he says, man, I wish everybody could speak in tongues because then everybody could be a missionary and, and go spread the gospel to the nations. But this tongue, a tongue, he keeps saying over and over, and we're going to see this again today, he keeps saying it's useless. It's useless. It, it benefits no one. See, there's this abuse, there's this counterfeit that has come into the church and it, it has caused division in the church. Instead of edifying the church, building up the church, it's tearing the church apart. So Paul is focusing in on tongues. So as we work through this today, 
We're going to see the true nature of the gift of tongues. We're going to see that. But, you know, at First, ba- First Baptist, we're not, that's not a problem, right? That's not a problem here. The gift of tongues is not being abused here. But there's, there could be other problems. There could be other gifts that get abused. Therefore, we need to safeguard against the abuse of any of the gifts. We need to make sure that we safeguard against any kind of abuse of gifts or even our talents. And Paul here, he shows us three safeguards against abuse of spiritual gifts. And so we're going to look at those three safeguards in these three paragraphs today. So because we are in quite a a large text here, we've got three paragraphs that we're going to go through. And normally we do like one paragraph at a time. but today, since it is so much, I'm gonna, we're going to read the first paragraph like we normally do, but then we'll work through, slowly work through the others as we go along. So, if you found your place there in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 6, please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues... How will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophesy, prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for the battle? So with yourselves, If with your tongue, singular, you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me so with yourselves since you are eager for manifestations of the spirit strive to excel in building up the church amen may the lord add blessings to the reading of his holy inspired and inerrant word and may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts and you may be seated So as we look at our text today, this first paragraph, we see here the first safeguard against spiritual, uh, spiritual gift abuse. And the first safeguard against spiritual gift abuse is this, strive to edify the church. Strive to edify the church. Paul indicates that in the last sentence of this paragraph. So with yourselves, therefore, in other words, therefore with yourselves, Since you are eager for the manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church, to edify the church. You want to safeguard against abuse, then let your goal, your purpose be to build up, to edify the church. And so we go back to the beginning of this paragraph to understand why he concludes the paragraph this way. Why does he end with this? Why does he give this safeguard why is it important that we focus on 
edifying the church. We see from the very beginning that gift abuse edifies self. Gift abuse edifies self. For when we abuse the spiritual gifts, whether that be tongue or any other gift, when we abuse that gift and use it in a way that was not intended for God, then the purpose becomes different from God's purpose. The purpose becomes not building up the church, but building up self. Paul states this plainly in the previous uh, paragraph, uh, chapter verse 14, verse 4. Look at that. He says, the one who speaks in a tongue, there's that counterfeit, a tongue builds up himself. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. The one who, who speaks this tongue, right, this, this unknowable tongue, their, their goal is to build up themselves. They're, they're trying to, to promote themselves in the church. They're trying to look holy and, and more spiritual than everybody else. That's, that's the problem that's taking place in Corinth. They're, they're using this, this ecstatic utterance to kind of show everybody else, hey, look how spiritual I am. And, and they go off in this foreign language and, and begin to speak in this, this tongue of theirs, which I believe is a counterfeit of the, the actual gift. He says, you're just building up self, right? You're just self-promotion. And he goes on and explains this further. He, he shows us in, in our uh, paragraph here that unintelligible speech is absolutely useless to everyone else. Look at verses 6 through 9, if you will. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, Paul had the gift of tongues. He was a missionary. He was sent out to the nations to, to carry the gospel. And so he had the gift of tongues so that he could, could communicate the gospel to other peoples throughout the world. But he says, I come to you, the Corinthians, speaking in tongues. How will I benefit you unless I bring you some kind of revelation or knowledge or, or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or harp do not give distinct notes how will anyone know what is played and if the bugle gives off the an indistinct sound right it's just blowing somebody's just blowing the horn how will who, who, who will get ready for the battle so if i i grabbed larry's guitar there and i just start strumming away at it right not making any chords, not doing anything, just strumming away. How would you be edified by that? Little Montana, when he comes over to our house, he, he's got a little ukulele we have for him. Now, that ukulele is not the least bit in tune. It's an Elmo ukulele, so I don't even think it can be tuned. But there's no, it, it doesn't have a tune, and he can't carry a tune on it. He just gets at it, and he starts strumming away at it. Boy, and he's just happy with himself, and we laugh for a little while. Oh, yeah, 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 play it, boy, play it. And then in a little bit, we're like, now let's put it up, right? Because there's no benefit to us. It, it's entertaining for a moment, but it's really, there's no music coming out of that. If Larry just strummed his guitar and didn't make chords, it would be useless to us. It would not edify us. But when you play it right and you play the notes and it's beautiful music and our hearts grow from that, right? It, it, it benefits us. Well, he's saying like with this unintelligible utterances that they've got going on there. 
just speaking in tongues like it's like it's just nobody understands that so what benefit is it to anyone it benefits no one nobody can understand that so it's with yourselves if you if your tongue you with your tongue you utter speech that is un, that is not intelligible how will anyone know what is said or you will be, just be speaking up into the air Right? It's useless speech. It's useless. It benefits no one. You might exalt yourself in that moment, but, but you're not benefiting the church. They're not going to grow from that. There's no benefit in it. Unintelligible speech is useless to others. Now, he gives some indication here, and in, in, in the third uh, uh, paragraph here, he'll, he'll show us this more directly, but here in verses 10 and 11, he, he kind of indicates here that tongues are supposed to be intelligible. The actual gift of tongues is supposed to be intelligible. Verse 10, there are doubtless many different languages in the world. Now, Paul shifts from just tongues to there are languages, right? There are real languages in the world, and none is without meaning. And that's the purpose of tongues is to, to communicate meaning. The gift of tongues was to communicate meaning. But here again, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. Right? If uh, my brother Christy from Romania, uh, he was here a couple of years ago. By the way, their church is doing great. They were able to buy the new facility thanks to your help, and they're doing great. They got heat now. So Romanian winners, they have heat in their church. It's a wonderful blessing. But if, if, if Christy came, if he was back in the States and I invited him to come to our church and, and preach, uh, can you imagine if, if he stood up here, now he's, he's, very, he, he's got very good English, right? He's a very good English speaker. But if he came and he started preaching out of his Romanian Bible and he preached to you in Romanian, what benefit would that do you? You, you would get no benefit out of that. And the same would be the case if I went over to Romania and I began to preach to his congregation in English, right? I would be of no use to them, no benefit. And so it is with, with tongues when there's no one there to understand what's being said. It's a useless thing. But tongues, the gift of tongues, the actual gift of tongues is supposed to be intelligible. People should be able to understand it. But gift abuse edifies self. That's what Paul is pointing out in, in these, these verses here. Gift abuse, when you abuse the gifts, whatever the gift, whether it be tongues or anything else, gift abuse, it doesn't edify anybody but self. Gift use, however, right, the proper use of gifts edifies others. Its aim is to edify others, to benefit others, and that's Paul's concern. Go back to verse 6. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you? Unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching. See, Paul was not interested in self-promotion. I don't care if you know if I speak in tongues or not. That's no big whoop to me. I want to benefit you. I want you to grow from my ministry. So I would rather speak to you, 
teach to you, preach to you something that will build you up than just me show off my gift. Paul was concerned about the edification of the church. And so thus he commands it here in the last sentence. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up into edifying the church. Whatever your gift may be, may your purpose and your goal for using that gift be to build up the church. You know, that calls for the humiliation of self. That's key. That's key to our ministry across the board. That's key to being a follower of Jesus Christ. It, it's key that we humble ourselves and put others first. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, in humility, Count others more significant than yourselves. However, whatever gift you have, whatever your spiritual gift, use it for the benefit of others. Humble self and use your gifts for the benefit of others. Now, again, abuse can, can come to other gifts as well, right? We can abuse, I could abuse preaching and teaching. That gift can be used and abused. It could be used in a wrong way, using the pulpit as a soapbox to advance one's own uh, ideology and agenda, right? That's an abuse of preaching. That's not for your benefit. That would be for my benefit if I, if I did that. Or, or, or if I were to use the pulpit, use preaching to advance myself, right? To make a name for myself. Look at me. Look who I am, right? And that would be an abuse of the gift, that would be a very self-centered thing and not other-focused. Prayer, using prayer, the gift of prayer, it can be abused. Now, certainly we've been in those moments where people, you, you've seen people use, use prayer, not, not you know, wholeheartedly, but as a way of gossip. I pray for so-and-so because I heard. That's an abuse of the gift of prayer. You're just trying to build up, show people what you know instead of actually being concerned for that person you're asking prayer for. But you know what? The most common form of abuse that we see in the church today is neglect. It's neglect. You know, if you have a child, there's two ways to get turned into to the state for abuse it, one is physical abuse right you're, you're taking action you're abusing your child physically another way is to neglect your child through neglect abuse your child through neglect not feeding the child not clothing the child properly a child can get taken away just the same way and so it is with our gifts sometimes use Abuse of the gift comes in improper use, but other times it, abuse comes by not using the gift at all. Well, I got the, te the, the gift of teaching, and there's a class that somebody needs to take, but I'm not going to do it, just let somebody else take it. I'm going to just kick my gift off to the side. I'm not going to use it. That's abuse. Are you abusing your gift? 
whether through action, trying to self-promote, or abuse through neglect. Abuse is abuse. God has given you gifts to use for his proper purpose, to edify, to build up the church. So whatever your gifts may be, use them for the edification of the church. The second safeguard against spiritual gift abuse is strive to edify the mind. Strive to edify the mind. We see this in that next paragraph, paragraph uh, verses 13 through uh, 19 there, 13 through 19. What we see taking place here is there, there, in the church there was this, this charge of emotionalism. That was the whole purpose of, of using this tongue, this tongue in the worship service. It was to, to charge the church with emotionalism. And Paul shows us here in this paragraph that emotionalism, right? Empty emotionalism is unfruitful. Look at verses 13 and 14 there. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, singular, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. It's unfruitful. It bears no fruit. It's just empty words meant to charge an emotion, to get people going emotionally. Now, in Corinth, what's taking place here is the, the Corinthian church these who are abusing the gift, they're, they're taking a page out of their, their pagan neighbor's book, right? Uh, they're, they're coming from pagan worship into the church, and, and they're bringing some things along with them. Because in paganism, first century paganism, it was a common practice for them to go into the temple, and the priest or, or one of the other worshipers there would kind of go into a trance, right? Go into a trance and, and get into this trance and then begin to, to, to speak just ecstatic speech. It just mumble jumble. Right? And, and all of that, it, it wasn't that, that anybody could get anything out of that, but it was to charge emotions, right? Because when you see that, you see something like that, whoa, Whoa, what just happened there? Wow. Oh, it's getting real in here, right? It gets the motions going because that's something, that's something amazing. You don't see that just walking down the street. Wow. And, and the pagan temples, the pagan worshipers, they would, they would get that to, to go and to, to get the crowd worked up and, and, and they would get into all kinds of crazy practices then. That was common in first century Corinth. All those pagan temples around this church, they were doing those things. Many of the, the Gentiles who are now members of this church, that was their practice when they, they practiced paganism. Uh, they, they, they saw that, now they're bringing that into the church. They see the spiritual gift of tongues, and now they are abusing, they're bringing in this counterfeit, a tongue that nobody understands, and they're using it in their church to get people riled up. We see the same thing today in, in, in our culture. We see it in rock concert, right? You go to a rock concert, man, they crank the music up. 
It's so loud in there, you really can't even understand what's being sung. It's just so loud, and it's all about getting your blood pumping, right? Get you in the groove and get you excited to get your emotions going. We even see it in political speech today. That's all we hear in political speech today. I'll be honest, I watched two of the uh, presidential debates, you know, that we had earlier last year, or, you know, at the end of last year before the election. I I watched two of those debates. I watched a few minutes of it, and that was enough because neither candidate said anything worth saying. There was no intellectual engagement there whatsoever. The whole debate was one putting down the other, and, and whoever put down the other the, the best, you know, that was the one who was pronounced the winner of the debate. But they really, their, their debate was empty. It was absolutely empty. There was no content. And that's what we see in, on the media, in the media. It's all about getting people riled up, getting their emotions going, because when we put our mind in neutral and let our emotions drive us, man, we can be talked into all kinds of crazy stuff. And that's the way of our society around us. And to be quite honest, it's coming into a lot of churches. It's bleeding into so many churches today. Church becomes a rock concert. We crank up the music. I'm not talking about playing different instruments because you can play a lot of good instruments and bring in everything and make it sound good and enjoyable and and it's worthy worship unto the Lord. But but you go into a lot of churches and it's all about their concert, man. And and you turn it up so loud where you you don't really hear what's going on. And it's all about getting you built up. It's all about getting you emotionally charged because if they can get you emotionally charged, they got you. When we let our minds be kicked in neutral and be driven by our emotions, oh, we can be talked into all kinds of stuff. Salespeople know this. Right, salespeople know this. You, you can, uh, if I were to, if I had a, my truck for sale, right? If I were going to sell my truck, I could give you all the facts about my truck. Here, here, here you know, here's the gas mileage. Here, here's how it does in the mud, and, and all give you all the facts. And you might or you might not buy. You say, oh well, yeah, that'd be good for me, or no, it's not good for me. But now, if I can get you attached to it emotionally, right? If I can get you dreaming about charging through mud holes, you know, driving, spinning out through mud holes and get you emotionally charged, then I have a better chance to sell you into my truck. You know, salesmen do this. Salespeople do this. They, they want to get your emotions involved, get your mind out of the process, get your emotions involved so that you make a purchase. We've got to be very careful. We've got to be very careful. Our natural tendency is towards that, you know, to kick the mind in neutral and just kind of coast and, and live by emotions. But emotionalism is unfruitful. Emotionalism is absolutely unfruitful. It, it gets us in trouble, in fact. Rational thought, however, edifies 
rational thought, ra- rational reasoning. It, it, it edifies the church when we put our brains in motion and use our, our minds. Man, there's some actual growth that, that happens there. And we see this pronounced throughout Scripture. Jesus recognizes Uh, recognize the necessity of engaging the mind in worship by emphasizing the mind when he when he quoted uh, the great commandment in Matthew 22 37 and he said to him you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind with your mind you got to worship with your mind Now, we need to understand, we don't want to just push emotions to the side and say, well, all emotions are bad. No, that's not the point. We're to love the Lord our God with all of our being. We're to love him with our emotions, but we're also to love him with our mind. And when we engage the mind, that's what it actually begins to build up and then engage the emotions. But if we start with the emotions and leave out the mind, then that kind of emotionalism, that's what's useless. We start with the mind. God's order is to start with the mind. Engage the mind. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect yes we are to love the lord our god and worship god with heart soul and mind but we've got to engage the mind we've got to engage the mind it's not emotions alone John MacArthur makes this point. He says, It is obvious that edification cannot exist apart from the mind. Spirituality involves more than the mind, but it never excludes the mind. When it comes to church, when it comes to engaging our spiritual gifts, we we want to help people grow. We want to edify them by engaging the mind. Now, in church, we have to emphasize the mind because of our natural tendency to kick the mind in neutral and coast on emotions. In fact, in his book, Amusing Ourselves to Death, Neil Postman laments the fact that America, that in America, we have turned everything into amusement. Now, Neil Postman, I don't know if he's a Christian or not. It's not a Christian book, but it's a very good book if you want to read it. But here in his book, he laments the fact that America is all about amusement and we are killing ourselves with amusement. He says our politics, religion, news, athletics, education, and commerce have been transformed into congenial adjuncts of show business largely without uh, protest or even much popular notice the result is that we are a people on the verge of amusing ourselves to death 
we are on the verge of amusing ourselves to death. Now think about that word amuse. Now amuse means in the dictionary, it's defined as finding something funny or entertain, entertaining, but, but let's just look at the word. Look at that word for a moment. Muse. To muse about something means to think deeply about it. That's what it means to muse. If I muse about Scripture, then I'm thinking deeply about Scripture. But when you put the A in front, right, that negates the word. It, it means to ah, muse, to, to, to kick the brain in neutral. To not think, to keep from thinking. That's what amusement is all about. It's to entertain us. We want to quit thinking. We want to go numb for a moment and just not think. And that's what amusement does. And we have amusement at every turn. Right? At night, Mary Beth and I will say sometimes, you know, let's, I just want to watch some mindless TV. That's all TV is. It's mindless TV. It's a chance to kick the mind into neutral and just coast. And all of our world, all of our society is aimed towards amusement. That's why you see political speech from Way back when, say back in Washington's day or Lincoln's day, that time period, you see they actually engaged the mind in their speech, but now it's all about amusing you. So if I can amuse you, if I'm the candidate who can amuse you the best, then I'll get your vote because that's what we are all about. We're about amusement. That's what our society is all about. But the church can't be about amusement. There's far too many, much seriousness in our business to be concerned about amusement. I'm not here to entertain you or to amuse you. The business of, of our church is not amusement. It's not entertainment. They say, well, if you add this, more people will come in. Fooey on that. I'm not worried about amusing them. I want to save them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We leave amusement in the world, but here we engage the mind. And it must be so. It must be so. When we come to church, we focus on the mind. And when we focus on the mind, when I teach you about what God has done for you in Jesus Christ, That changing of the mind then engages the emotions. But we only engage the emotions through the transformation of the mind. So in order to safeguard against spiritual gift abuse or talent abuse, or whatever in the church, we must strive to edify the mind, to build up a person's mind in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So to safeguard against spiritual gift abuse, you must strive to edify the church 
and the mind. Third, you must strive to edify the lost. You must strive to edify the lost. We see this in our last paragraph, paragraph 20 through, or verses 20 through uh, 25. Now here we see the true gift uh, or the true nature of that gift of tongues. Paul really brings it out here in, in this, this paragraph. Strive to edify, it strives to edify, our purpose is to strive to edify the lost. We see here that tongues, first and foremost, tongues were a sign, right? They were a sign gift, and they were signed primarily to the lost. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking, but be, be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature, right? Go to Scripture, grow, understand the, the true nature of things. Be mature in your thinking, in the law, it is written by people of strange tongues, plural, and by the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Now, how is the gift of tongues a sign gift? First of all, it's a sign to the lost of Israel as a sign of judgment. It's a sign to lost Israel as a sign for judgment. Paul here is quoting Isaiah chapter 28, verses 11 through 9. By people of strange tongues and by lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Go back to Isaiah. Isaiah is speaking judgment on the nation. The nation of Israel had refused God's guidance in their life. They had rejected God and, and their nation, and God is speaking judgment upon them. Come, there's coming a day, God says, that I will speak to you in a foreign tongues. In foreign tongues. You will hear the, the word of the Lord come out of the mouths of foreigners and in foreign tongues. This prophecy was ultimately fulfilled. It was first fulfilled when uh, the Babylonians came into Israel and conquered the Israelites and took them into exile. There were the foreigners who came in. But it was also ultimately fulfilled in salvation history. It was fulfilled in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. When there on the day of Pentecost, as the Christians were gathered together in prayer and the sound like a rushing wind came upon them and there were uh, fire as of tongues that fell upon them and they began to speak in tongues and they went out and they spoke in tongues among the people who were there in Jerusalem. It was a sign of judgment upon the nation of Israel. You had rejected God you have rejected his Messiah so now I'm speaking to you in a foreign in foreign tongues and you still reject me it was a sign of judgment for the loss of Israel but it's also a sign of grace to the Gentiles it was a sign of grace to the Gentiles Acts chapter 2 verses 5 through 11 notice what he says there notice what what's happening when the tongues this gift of tongues is first initiated now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews devout men from every nation under heaven every nation under heaven so at the the time of Pentecost as as such with the the time of of the Passover 
The population of Jerusalem grew from about 100,000 to about a million. Jews from all over the world came back to Jerusalem, but not only them, but also proselytes, those who, who, who believed in the God of Israel. They would come to Jerusalem to celebrate these two feasts and two festivals. And so there on the day of Pentecost, there were these Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, that sound of a rushing wind, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them, the Christians, speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? And it goes on and it, it, it lists all of these different languages and all of these different places that these people were from and, and they were hearing their own language, both Jews and proselytes, verse 11, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. It was a sign for judgment for the unbelieving Jews, but for the Gentile, it was a sign of God's grace. My salvation, God says, is not just to the Jews only, but my salvation is for you. You who've never heard my word, you who have never understood my language, I'm coming for you. It was a missional gift to reach the lost. That was the whole purpose of the tongues, the gift of tongues. It was to reach the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But then Paul kind of seems like if you're reading this and, and not considering the context, it, it seems like he goes on to contradict himself. Look there in verse, uh, verse 23. Verse 23, he says, If therefore, well, where did I end up? Uh, actually, 22. Thus tongues are not a sign for believers, uh, excuse me, tongues, thus tongues are not a sign for believers, but for unbelievers, the lost, while prophecy is a sign not for believers, but for believers, right? So, so prophecy is for the church, tongues is for missions. In verse 23, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders and un or unbelievers enter, Will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. He says, the gift of tongues, it's for the lost. It's not for the believers, it's for the unbelievers. But now he says, now if the unbeliever comes into your church and everybody's speaking in tongues, they're, they're going to think you're mad, you're crazy. 
So preach instead so that they can be transformed, so that they can be converted, convicted, and, and converted. What's Paul getting at here? Better than tongues is the clear proclamation of the gospel. The clear proclamation of the gospel transforms people's lives. So the gift of tongues, it was for those foreign speakers. It was a missional gift. But here in Corinth, in this house church, these house churches, where not foreigners from Spain or wherever are coming into their congregation, into their house church, but their neighbor who is a pagan who speaks the same language as they are, they're coming into the church, and, and if everybody in the church is out there speaking out of their head, they're just speaking into the air in this unknown tongue, then that outsider is going to say, these folks have lost their ever-loving mind. They're crazy. But if the gospel is being clearly proclaimed, now the power of God is going out as the word of God is preached, as the gospel is preached, and now that person might be convicted of their sin, have their heart changed, and be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Far better than tongues, Paul says, is the clear proclamation of the gospel because the clear proclamation of the gospel transforms people's lives. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That's why we make preaching the gospel a priority in First Bastrop. Because we want people transformed by the word of the gospel. Our mission is to make disciples of all people groups, of all nations. In order to do that, we must edify the lost by clear proclamation of the gospel. And the clear proclamation of the gospel only takes place when everybody uses their spiritual gifts according to the goodwill of God in the church. We've said this over and over and over again. If you're failing to use your gifts in the church, then the church is not healthy. The church is not functioning properly. The church is not going to be able to fulfill its mission as it should if you're not using your gift, whatever that gift may be. Safeguard against abuse by using your gift to advance the gospel to edify the lost around us by advancing the gospel. Safeguard against abuse, dear friend. Use your gift to edify the church, the mind, and the lost. Don't abuse your gift by using them for wrong purposes, even if that is through neglect. We want to advance the gospel. We want to grow the church and grow the people in the church. Let's never abuse our gifts, but use them for God's glory, the glory of his church, and the salvation of the lost. 
Now, if you're here today or listening in today, wherever you may be, this talk about spiritual gifts probably means nothing to you. It certainly has no purpose for you. Because if you're outside of Christ, there's no spiritual gifts, there's none of this. For you, the most important thing for you to know today is the purpose of our church is to love you through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That means sharing the gospel with you. And I want you to know today, wherever you may be, whatever you may uh, think, I want you to know that God loves you. And he gave his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you, for your sins, your rebellion against his holy reign. Christ died for you. And he was raised again to ensure you eternal life. And before spiritual gifts or anything else can mean anything to you, you must receive Jesus by God's grace through faith. Let today be the day that you turn to Christ. There's nothing else to do. There's nothing else to do but look to Jesus. Look to him today. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your wonderful power. The power that you give to your church, to every member of your church, to, to edify one another and to advance your kingdom in this world. And Lord, certainly today our world around us is dark and they need the light of the gospel. Father, help us to be faithful. Help us not to abuse our gifts, whether through uh, using them to advance self or, or not using them, neglecting them. Lord, forgive us and help us, Lord, to use our gifts for your glory, the church's edification, and the salvation of lost. And certainly, Lord, if there's those who are listening in or those who are here present, who have never trusted in Jesus, Lord, I pray today. I pray today that they would turn to Christ and be saved. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.